Green Living Guy here, and we're uh, just, instead of doing a music intro, guys, because we're having some weird technical difficulties, whatever, please not stand by. We're going to go right to the EV wrap-up show, and we're going to have Shannon Arvizu, my best friend from back in the day on Bill Drone Electric Vehicle book signing, and John Volker from the Green Car Reports are going to talk to us about what's going on this week in the EV and plug-in hybrid and hybrid electric vehicle world. So, thank you for coming to the Green Living Guy wrap-up show. EV wrap-up show. What's going on, guys? Hey, Sharon. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, as usual, um, there were some very notable uh, policymakers that were at the EDTA conference, uh, including Governor George Pataki, who announced that he is now part of a, a law firm that is going to be specializing in providing services to companies in the plug-in vehicle world. So I thought that was pretty fascinating to make an appearance. That's great. Um, and of course, we also had the usual players in the plug-in vehicle industry field, including those from the major automaker side as well as those on the entrepreneurial side. I saw a lot of cars that I had not yet seen in person before, like the Cadillac Converge, which is built on the Volt platform. That sounds cool. That sounds pretty cool. Yeah. Cadillac Converge. Now we're talking about some... Okay, go ahead. Yeah, it was very, very, very sexy. I could not get enough of this car. I kept going back for photo shoots. Oh, you're funny. <laughs> Bright Automotive uh, van that we have been seeing a lot in presentations, but I had not yet seen in person. It's very, also a very sleek-looking machine. Um, and of course, the Nissan Leaf was in attendance. As the efficient, dynamic vehicle from BMW, which is their, maybe you could call it their second generation, um, attempt at an all-battery uh, electric vehicle in which they're going to be doing a similar field test um, as they did with the Mini Cooper, the electric Mini Cooper. Um, and then, of course, it was always an opportunity to hang out with my fellow green car media homies, including John and Sebastian Blanco from Autoblog Green, and also meet a couple new people on the scene. That group, in addition, um, there was Mike Milliken from Green Car Congress and uh, Brad Berman from HybridCars.com uh, and Felix Kramer from CalCars. Yay, Felix, a former Westchester County guy. Go ahead, John. Sorry about that. I had to jump in. Yeah, Yonkers. Yon Yonkers, yeah. Yonkers. Chelsea Sexton was there. But I guess, you know, it's funny. I've been going to EDTA for a while now, and this, a couple of thoughts on, on the conference. First, this is clearly the year of the electric car. You have the leap there, um, you have the Volt. Uh, there were really no new announcements of hybrids of any sort of major importance. So EDTA, the Electric Drive Transportation Association, covers within its purview um, anything that has an electric motor in it for uh, traction, which is to say hybrids, plug-in hybrids, extended range electric vehicles, pure battery electric vehicles, and fuel cell vehicles. But this is really the year of the battery electric vehicles, so that was kind of number one. The other one was that compared to December 2008, which was the last one, and that was a very kind of surreal EDTA conference because I remember 
every session, people literally ran out of the room to cluster around the TV screen showing the CNN hearings where the uh, Detroit Three automakers came to get grilled by Congress. And uh, you had 50 or 60 people sort of gathered around the screen commenting on basically what a terrible job they did. This is the first set of two hearings. But compared to that one... <laughs> that was a tough one, yeah.
Jim has said that in 2011, it will produce 10,000 volts. And in 2012, it will produce 60,000. I don't know what the comparable figures are for Nissan. They may be slightly higher. Um, and Nissan has a very aggressive goal of having 10% of its global production being electric vehicles 10 years from now. Um, but the thing that I think is really important to keep in mind is that this is going to be a very slow ramp because um, to build a lithium-ion cell plant for those 60,000 a year volts, each of which has a 16 kilowatt hour battery pack, you're talking somewhere between 100 and 200 million dollars. Right. You're building something the cleanliness of a wafer fan plant. And while the government has funded many of these plants now, one of the, the statistics I heard at EDTA was that by 2015, the U.S. will have 4 million vehicles worth of lithium cell plants. Um, well, they've been funded. Whether or not they'll be up and producing is another question. Um, at the moment, it's sort of unclear if there are markets for all 4 million vehicles worth on the part of the car maker. And, you know, you go back to hybrids. After roughly 10 years on the market in the U.S., hybrids are about 3% right. of the market. Right, right, right. And you right. can change that ramp a little bit. You can accelerate it a little bit. But, frankly, I wouldn't be surprised if plug-in vehicles are about 3% of the market in 2020. It's not going to be the kind of thing where half the Chevys or half the Nissans or half whatever are going to be plug-in vehicles five years from now. I, that's fine in the sense that we're at least getting to what we were supposed to in CARB, which was 10%. So to get 12 is pretty impressive at this point. The question, will it happen, is still another debate. But we'll, 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 that's the greatest part, is that it's a never-ending story. But go ahead, Shannon. You were going to say something. I was going to add to that that... Um we also have to keep in mind that hybrid cells have varied significantly with the price of oil. And it's interesting at the conference, um, hearing people's projections of what the cost of oil will be. And I heard this $8 figure being thrown about um, in a couple of different panel sessions. And there there's a wide range. Some people said, oh, we're going to be at $8 a gallon by 2011. Um, and then there was also projections saying we're going to be at $8 a gallon by 2030. But nonetheless, I think that it still may be too early to really understand demand because I think it will be in heavily influenced by whatever the price of oil is by 2020. I completely agree. And um, the one thing I would add to that sort of as an asterisk, hybrids have been presented as a car you can drive where nothing's different except they can get better gas mileage. Right. Fundamentally, think about early Prius marketing. You don't have to plug it in. You don't have to plug it in. You don't have to plug it in. Right. Which may have been appropriate for the time before, or sort of living human had a mobile phone plugged in everywhere. I I tend to think that what we haven't seen yet is the automakers starting to stress the advantages of driving an electric vehicle or plug-in vehicle um, really sort of in two factors. Number one is the driving experience. I, I was lucky enough to be able to test drive a Chevrolet Volt a few weeks ago. And, you know, it's really smooth. It's really quiet. It's great.
great zero to 30 acceleration. And you sort of think, wow, you know, all of that engine noise and transmission noises and things like that, it all feels kind of last century, right? Right, yeah. They have great, great off-the-line performance. They're very smooth and quiet. Um, plus, you don't have to go to a gas station. And there are a lot of people who really like that notion. And, uh, you know, gas stations will be with us as long as any of us are alive. I'm, I'm not... I'm not a big believer in the notion that we will displace petroleum completely. But I think there is an increasing group of people who once their neighbor down the street gets plugged in and they see it's a real car, you know, it's not a plastic golf cart, it has all of the amenities, huh. and, you know, plug it in every night and then you do whatever. I think, as with hybrids, they will gradually move into clusters and the more early adopters. But electric cars have advantages that hybrids don't. And I think we haven't started to see the automakers market them. That's not going to happen right away because, frankly, Nissan will sell every Leaf it can make and Chevrolet will sell every Volt it can make and Toyota will sell every Prius plug-in it makes for two or three years after they're introduced. It won't be until probably 2014, 2015. But the volume capability is there where they have to start marketing them to people who may not have already signed up two years ago. But I think there are some advantages for electric cars that way. I, I think that it's it, it's very interesting how the the market has turned around in the sense that we've had hybrids on the road, and i got a really interesting story for you, and how hybrids have almost helped get people understanding. It's like one step closer to the electric car. And... It's very interesting to note that you're starting to see them come back. You're starting to see them not just come back, but they're actually bringing back the infrastructure so that it's here in the United States. That the batteries with the car, it's all one package, and and that's really smart. It helps our economy and it helps everything move forward. But the hybrid, I think, has helped move people forward to understand that electric drive is cool. And I now... Completely, and I, think it's, I had this chat with uh, um, excuse me, Nancy Joya, uh, who's Ford's director of electrification, and we were talking about mild hybrids versus full hybrids. Ford is of the mind that now, when you say hybrid, for a consumer to accept it and like it, it really has to have at least some degree of all electric running. You know, even if even if it's only at low speed around the neighborhood, you know, to be a hybrid, to get your cool points out of being a hybrid and to sort of show off to your friends, it's got to have the ability to run electrically. And that, like you said, is absolutely um, a testing bed and a way to get people comfortable with the notion of electric vehicles. I have
Yeah, uh, one of the things I remember with the NIPA Think Clean Commute program, which just was 100 cars, was people loving the fact they were driving all electric, that they were driving not with a single ounce of oil, and it was efficient and it was cool. Now, granted, it was a small little car that was completely safe, but it was also not built nice. At least Ford figured out when you go electric that you got to at least make it look cool or good or part of regular society because once you did that with the Ford Escape Hybrid, you made it easy. Uh, and the Toyota Prius made it easy because they made a design that looked cool. Now, I think, which I'll ask you guys, what about the opportunity, as I said in, in, in my book, Build Your Own Plug-in Hybrid Electric Vehicle, to, to take these Priuses or Ford Escape Hybrids and to be able to give people, convert them to plug-in hybrid electric vehicles? I met a couple of um, converters at the conference, and, you know, I, it was great to see them there because I see them, you know, usually more at the EVA meetings or the PIA meetings, but to see some of the grassroots converters show up at the industry conferences, um, and not as a presenter and an exhibitor, uh, but just, you know, a normal everyday guy with a beat-up internal combustion engine car that just decided he didn't want to buy a car that wasn't a plug-in, so he decided to do it himself. And um, I I realized that in discussing with him, you know, what, what he's been driving, that there really is a whole untapped market out there for the conversion business still. And there is no real... Um, you know, company out there that has come up with a business model to provide those kinds of services on on a mass scale, and I think that 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 is something that people in this field, especially that are of the entrepreneurial type, should consider. Well, a one two three is is pretty cool. Right. Uh, I mean, with those, you know, it's a certain model um, with a certain pack, and not everyone has a Prius or wants a Prius. Um, but I'm just talking about, you know, just you know. I, Felix Kramer is actually moving in this direction as we speak as well. So it will be interesting to see um, what, if anything, comes out in terms of being able to provide these services for people that would like to convert uh, the cars they already own that are not Priuses. Well, that's brilliant. Yeah, I wanted to, to give uh, High Motion, which is the conversion company that they went to three, the battery cell maker owns, uh, sort of props for their approach to it. Because I've talked to a number of converters, and I actually wrote about a hybrid plus conversion a couple of years ago. Many of the converters, the early converters, were fairly small shops, and there's a certain amount of engineering that needs to go into this. To the best of my knowledge, High Motion is the only converter that has said, we will put our converted car through the same set of safety and emissions tests that a brand new vehicle goes through to make sure that it meets all of the same requirements. It, there was a wonderful study a couple of years ago. It turns out, sort of counterintuitively, that some plug-in hybrids um, conversions actually were worse on tailpipe emissions than the hybrid vehicles that they were derived from. Uh, the problem being, basically, your worst tailpipe emissions come before you heat up your catalyst which takes 45 to 90 seconds. And the plug-in conversions were allowing the engine 
thin to stay off just long enough that the catalyst cooled down. So in effect, they were starting up very dirty more often than the hybrid, which ran the engine more but kept the catalyst heated. And so high motion has said, we're going to design and architect our system and our control logic so that in fact we have at worst equal but hopefully much better tailpipe emissions to the hybrid that we're derived from. And they did all the rear impact safety crashes to make sure that adding another 300 pounds of batteries wasn't going to compromise any of the crash performance. Right. A lot of the other conversions have not done that because that's a very, very extensive process. Yes, and I think that's what's interesting about the Prius in the sense that they did the second generation hybrid, which I believe, and I could be wrong, is the largest fleet vehicle, uh, meaning that it's the largest amount of hybrids on the road. Am I, am I wrong on that? The second generation Prius. You mean plug-in hybrids? No, hybrids in general. Oh, okay, okay. okay. Yeah, Toyota has made uh, two million and change hybrids since it began in 1997, and 1.5 million of those are Priuses. So it is by far, in a way, the leading hybrid globally, yes. Right. Okay, so, so I'm just thinking it's an untapped market of people that can do it, and it's getting the plug-in hybrid concept even closer to people because they're all over the place. So, But go ahead, Sharon. Yeah, no, I, you're definitely right in the sense that going going through that process has really helped to legitimate that technology and to make it more accessible um, to people you know, that do have those vehicles. And you know, I, I think it's many people still aren't even aware that that's possible. So I think that even they could work significantly on their marketing and promotion of those services. Um, the other thing I was just going to mention is that when you're converting to, I guess when I when I was talking about the conversions, I was primarily talking about converting internal combustion engine cars to all electric, in which case you wouldn't really have that cold start emission factor that you would have to take into consideration. Um, but, but, I mean, something that's very clear is that there, there are going to be many different conversion applications and markets out there that are still not really fully explored. And I would really like to see that happen as the next generation of uh, market penetration or even, you know, that's one of the other things to could take into consideration too is that we're all talking about new cars, but again, you know, the, the argument that, well, what about the 270 million that are on the road? So I think that it would be really good to see more uh, energy put into that as well. No question. Um, I, I I think that I've seen application now applications now that uh, are talking about mild hybrids for regular cars, not plug-in hybrids. I haven't heard that yet, but hey, sometimes when you're the reporter, you're the last one to know. That's fine. Uh, I'm kidding. And then you got all these new applications, and I, the biggest thing I'm just trying to get at is that I believe that with everything happening, which are the hybrids on the road, the new electrics coming on the road that you guys greatly talked about today, which I thank you very much, um, and the plug-in hybrids that are out there, like the Ford Escape hybrids that are out there that can be converted and or should, if they can't be, let's not do it correctly, but A123 has tapped the largest fleet 
So it's cool to know that we have access, or the market has access, to turn those vehicles into uh, plug-in hybrids. So, but I do appreciate the EV wrap-up show. I'm glad you guys had a blast at uh, EDTA, or I hope you had a blast at EDTA, because I had a blast at Sundance. It was a lot of fun. Uh, how was EDTA conference? The parties? <laughs> Everything. The f yeah, the parties. Come on. How was it? Yeah. Well, I, it, it was quite interesting, and, I, and, and I'll, uh, I'll leave you with this one story, which was really funny, really funny. This guy from AP, or this guy who was co-hosting a show, and I shouldn't be saying this, but whatever. Uh, that's what makes me the Green Living guy, I guess. Uh, this person, let's just say, was so concerned that I was concerned about access to this guy or that guy or whatever, and I couldn't go into the, this person's room. So then I said, look, I don't care about who's eating where. I said, I want to know what people think about green. So why don't you bring them down here and let me interview them in the green lounge, which is the place where I'm at. And they started bringing them down, <laughs> one by one. There weren't many after that point that I got there. But uh, the green experience was not as much as it could have been. But they're trying, um, and they're working toward it. But they need a lot of work. And I'll be talking about that on my site, Green Living Guide. But I was really blessed to green the, the gifts at the uh, Bravo Lounge. Uh, it was the green red carpet lounge, red carpet suite and green, you know, or red carpet lounge and green suite, one of the two things for Bravo, and it was a little surreal. I was like, me? <laughs> you got to be kidding me. But it was weird and fun. Um, and then I have the weirdest story that comes out. Uh, that night, the first night I, or the second night that we went out uh, to an after party, I got caught in a third-generation Toyota Prius going down a hill in a Utah mountain, a Utah mountain hill, right, uh, in the middle of a snowstorm where, for an hour, we couldn't even move. No way. Oh, it gets better. And the entire way back, I'm doing about 12 to 15 miles an hour, and so is basically everybody else. But the story gets better. I had no idea about what's going on with Toyota and the recall, and then all of a sudden they turn on the TV and this happens. The Toyota Prius did great. And I think it's, you know, could it have been... But one thing I definitely learned <laughs> is why people in Utah and Wyoming like trucks. Because those mountain storms, good Lord, if you don't have something big, it's not fun. To drive in the snow, um, but I tell you, the Prius itself, as a vehicle, was safe as can be. I didn't feel uncomfortable at all, 
and frankly the breaking I'm sorry, I apologize. No. Uh, uh, just to reassure your listeners, I, I just finished writing a story on Green Car Reports about the latest Toyota recall, which has obviously been compromised for a lot of people. The latest recall, the one for the defective accelerator pedal mechanisms, yes. which is a different recall from the floor mat problem of September, but the latest one where they're recalling another two point something million cars does not include any hybrids from Toyota. The Prius is not in this newest recall, nor are the hybrid versions of the Toyota Camry, although the regular Camrys are included. So I just figured your listeners might want to know that. I think it's great. I think it's great. Thank you for telling me that and, and the listeners here. I, I, you know, <laughs> get a hybrid. Start that way, guys. <laughs> Anybody out there. Uh, one at a time, one step at a time, you know, they talk about, <laughs> uh, addictions or whatever. We got to wean ourselves off that foreign oil people. So I think one step at a time is great. I think what we're doing is great. I think what you guys are doing is great. Thank you so much for spending time on this show. Green living guy here saying out, saying have fun this weekend, but always stay green. Bye.